So let's turn back to uh, Daniel chapter 9 and uh, this great prayer of repentance. And as we've been saying over the uh, past few weeks, so Daniel is aware that the 70 years of captivity are almost over. And uh, he is aware, uh, quite evidently, well, and I actually, specifically, he says uh, that he's aware of uh, what Jeremiah wrote. He's aware of it. Uh, And as we have observed over the past few weeks, he's also kind of aware of what Moses wrote and a little bit of aware of what Isaiah wrote. Daniel uh, knew the word of God uh, that was available to him. So... Interestingly enough, he's a man of prayer and a man of the word. I mean, uh, uh, and a man of discipline. Boy, you you can't get much better than that. Uh, And we have, in a sense, observed uh, much of his life, you know, starting when he was a youth, and now he's an old man uh, at this point. So that's, you know, all very, very interesting. And in this prayer, rather than, uh, as we, again, have observed, rather than just uh, praying, Lord, get us out of here, you know, he pray, he, it's a prayer of confession. And so Daniel recognizes that he is interceding on behalf of all of the Jewish people everywhere in the world. And he says it in the prayer. You can go back and listen to previous messages where he says that and we've talked about that. And, uh, and, and so he realizes that even in the midst of the captivity, even in exile, the people still have not really gotten it. And so he prays. Uh, for God's forgiveness, for they have not obeyed the word, they have not listened to God, and, and, you know, and, and so on. So much of the prayer, all the way up to, verse, up to verse 15, is about this confession. Okay? Now, from 15 and 19, which we want to look at today, this is where he in a, says a few times, Now, Lord, please forgive us, please forgive us, turn away your anger, turn away your wrath. So he's, con- he's made this confession, and now he's basically pleading with God for his grace and his mercy. But he does so in such a way that uh, it, it is so appropriate for us uh, uh, on uh, this Shabbat, as we enter into these high holy days, uh, how he prays, how he asks God, is uh, very interesting for us. So let's begin in verse 15. And now, O Lord our God... Who has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for thyself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all of your, literally, righteousnesses, or as it says in most of our Bibles, righteous acts. Let now thine anger and thy wrath turn away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. Remember what we said about supplications? Begging for grace and mercy. Begging for mercy. Okay? And for thy sake, O Lord, let thy face shine on thy desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline thine or your ear and heart. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. 
Oh, Lord, hear. You know, that, by the way, that's kind of interesting. Usually it's the other way around. Shema Yisrael, right? But here it's, oh, Lord, hear, right? Interesting. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, oh, my God, do not delay, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Okay. So, boy, there is uh, all kinds of... Uh, uh, juicy uh, things in this passage for us to learn from uh, and, uh, and, and understand. First of all, if you go back to the beginning of the prayer in verse 4, where he actually begins praying, he says, And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness. Okay, I just want to stop there. Who keeps his covenant. Okay, So, Right at the get-go, right at the beginning, he refers to God keeping his covenant. I would suggest that the entire prayer is framed in this covenant relationship. Now, you know, as, uh, as believers in Yeshua, as people maybe who have been around the block a few times, uh, you know, reading through the Bible, you've heard a thousand sermons, you've read books, and, or, you know, you've been coming to Beth Messiah for a while, We're you, we get so used to this concept of covenant that it's like, um, you know, been there, done that. We get the inoculation, you know. We get the inoculation of some truth, and then we don't really think about it anymore. We just sort of assume it, you know. Uh, and so this whole issue of covenant is really very, very important. And it's a very motivating factor in uh, Daniel's prayer, and therefore it should be really be a motivating factor in, in our prayer as well. This idea of covenant relationship was absolutely radical when God uh, first called out uh, the Jewish people. It was radical, okay? The fact that God would, would include people in what he was doing was absolutely radical. See, in the ancient world it was, there's a God, and we just got to pray he doesn't kill us. And so we got to do what he says. And that's basically, that was the relationship. Now, unfortunately for some of us, that may be the relationships that we have had in life, you know, uh, sadly. And sometimes we may think that that's how God is. But if we think that that is how God relates to us, then we have an unfortunate understanding, a wrong understanding of covenant relationship. See? In the covenant relationship that God fostered with humanity in the Garden of Eden and then narrowed down in a specific way with Abraham and, and his descendants and all of us, even including the uh, covenant of David, uh, the covenant of land, uh, the new covenant as well, it is, there is a responsibility of humanity in bringing to pass uh, the will of God, what God wants to do in this world. Now, we're oftentimes used to thinking about the covenant in terms of eternal destinies. And so it is true that uh, just as Daniel prays, I'm coming with no merits of my own, that uh, marvelously God uh, in Messiah Yeshua in the new covenant, he takes responsibility for our holiness. He takes responsibility for the forgiveness of our sins. But we're still called to participate as like a junior partner in what he's doing in this world. See? We have responsibility. The responsibility doesn't always have to do with, with my, uh, the, the determination of where I end up forever. It's just simply, 
our calling as people who know the Lord. See? And it's this great privilege, therefore, that we have to be in this covenant relationship with God. And that is what I believe motivates Daniel in this prayer. And that's why he spends most of the time confessing sins. See? Uh, Because uh, in order to fulfill the purpose or the calling for which he has called Israel, and by virtue of the coming of Yeshua, all who call upon the name of the God of Israel, okay? Uh, In order for us to be fulfilled, satisfied in what we're supposed to do and be and enjoy it, we need to confess our sins. But it's not just so that we'll feel good about ourselves, you know? It's not just that so that, uh, so that I'm a happy camper. It's so that I can participate well, see? And I'll just say right now that if our attitude is it's, it's about the river flowing from God to me, I'm going to suggest that we walk away unsatisfied the majority of the time. Because, you see, that's not the main idea. It's not... The main idea is not just about God has done all this work in this world so that I can be comfortable and and nice and happy. Yes, that is a residual blessing of being in a right relationship with God. But the main idea is, is that he created us in his image and his likeness so that we can represent him uh, in this world uh, and It is through those who call upon the name of the Lord that is, in a way, the avenue of of God uh, entering in and making a difference in this world. And that is why, you ever wonder, why did there need to be a Yeshua? Why did there need to be an incarnation? Why, 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 why? There's so many why questions, right? Uh, The answer is, is because you see, God, in the way that he designed everything, Man plays a very significant role, so much so that God manifested himself in humanity, in not just taking a man and injecting himself, but from, the very, from his very being. That's why there needed to be a virgin birth. That's why Yeshua's birth was different and significant. That's why uh, uh, his life was different and significant. That's why there was only one of him. Right? And that's why when he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead as a, as a human being in glory. See? He didn't, like, he didn't go back to, oh, this is how it was before. No. When he rose from the dead, now he is like glorified humanity. And you see, that is why he is our Messiah. And that is why when we're identified with him and in him, we can be the men and women that God called us to be. You see? And so Daniel wants to be the right kind of person. He wants the Jewish people in this context to be the right kind of people. And he's very concerned about the covenant. He's very concerned about the calling of the people. And so he confesses their sins, not to save his own skin, but for the purposes of God. And we say that so that we can understand what's going on beginning in verse 15. Okay? So in verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has made a name for yourself as it is this day. And then he interjects, like reiterates all those other, you know, everything he said. We've sinned. We've been wicked. But it's like despite ourselves, 
you have made a name for yourself by taking us out of Egypt. When Daniel mentions the, uh, uh, the Exodus, he's not simply saying, Lord, based on your track record of getting us out of jams, get us out of another one now. I mean, that is a way to read that, you know. Based on what you've done, Lord, you are certainly our deliverer and you have delivered us. You know, you hit the home run coming out of Egypt there. Lord, now uh, please get us out of this jam again. But that's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, through that experience of taking us out of Egypt, you became known as the deliverer. You became known as the redeemer. By your taking us out of Egypt, you made a name for yourself. Now, that, you know, in our world, sometimes that's like a negative thing people say. Hey, you really made a name for yourself there, eh? You know? Uh, and, of course, in the most positive, we'd say someone did something really magnanimous and wonderful. And so, you know, they made a name for themselves. Meaning they, their reputation, who they are. That, that when people see them or think of them or hear their name, that, wow, they are... Uh, really, uh, the ethical, moral king, and they did this great thing, and, and so on. Like, you know, the, the, um, the man who was the pilot of the plane uh, that uh, went down in the Hudson River, right? You, uh, Sullenberger, right? Yeah. So you never heard his name before that. No. You hear his name and think, oh, what, like a hero. What a guy who, he has been the object of probably 10,000 sermon illustrations, uh, uh, since, uh, since that time about discipline, about, uh, you know, knowing, uh, knowing the manual so that when you're in the, when you're in the moment, you know what to do and, and, oh, oh humility, oh, you, you name it, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, you hear that name. It's not about his name. It's not like, what a catchy name. It's about who he is, see? And so when God redeemed the Jewish people out of Egypt, this was a way that God used the Jewish people to magnify his name. See? Now, it's interesting because if you look in uh, the book of Ezekiel, in the 20th chapter, there in the 20th chapter and around the 9th verse. No, actually, uh, verse 8. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away. Now he's talking about, I, I mean, you know how I said last week, let's just go back to Genesis 1, right? You know, we always have to start there. So what this is, is Ezekiel is explaining to the people about his grace and mercy back in Egypt. And about how they were slaves in Egypt, but they were worshiping idols. And so he wanted them to remove all of their idolatry and then, you know, and then and he would take them out of Egypt, okay? So he says in verse 8, But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, Lama'an Shemo, right? We hear it even in our prayers. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it, uh, yes, I know I pronounced that wrong in that, uh, in, in that sentence, I'm sorry, okay. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned uh, in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. 
Okay? So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. The point is in verse 9, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations with whom they lived. And so what we read here, God is saying to them, I didn't do this for you. I didn't take you out of Egypt because I just was concerned about making your life better. But I took you out of Egypt for the sake of my name, so that the nations would know that your God is all-powerful, that your God is indeed a redeemer. And of course, being in a covenant relationship with God, uh, and when God acts in such a way, it's a marvelous benefit, not because of anything we've done, see? Not because of anything we've merited, but because we're in this covenant relationship and we are this junior partner. And so that means that sometimes there's chastisement and other times unmerited blessing, see? But it's for the sake of his name. So Daniel, going back now to Daniel in the ninth chapter, he says here in verse 15, yes, and thou hast made a name for yourself as it is this day. And then in a sense, you know, it's, it's like, but we've sinned and, and we've been wicked, you see. O Lord, now he prays, in accordance with all of your righteous acts, all these great things you've done, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of thy city Jerusalem and thy holy mountain. Okay? For because of our sins and iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. Okay? We've become a, a, shame, a shameful thing to all of those uh, all of those uh, around us. Now, do you notice something kind of interesting uh, in, uh, in verse 16? He doesn't say, when he says, O Lord, in accordance with all thy righteous acts, let now thy anger and thy wrath turn away from me or turn away from us. Lord, we are suffering here in Babylon. Please let your anger turn away from us. But he doesn't say that at all. It seems like it's like a totally out of place in a way, because they're not even they're not in Jerusalem. They're not at uh, uh, the mountain of Zion, you know, in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, as we might call it. But that seems to be Daniel's concern that the fact that the people have been in exile is a judgment on Jerusalem in a way and on the mountain. But even more so. In the ancient world, something to understand is that the people believed that God actually lived in a house, okay? That building a temple was like God's house, okay? Build a, a house uh, for your name, you know, and all that kind of thing. And, and, that, uh, and that he was located in a particular place, okay? So because of the sin of the Jewish people, the people were exiled, Right? As a result, the city and the mountain uh, became um, dilapidated, became uh, um, uh, filled with, uh, you know, sin and uh, were no longer recognized, it was no longer recognizable as the place of God. And it appeared in this world visually as if well, the God of Israel is the big loser. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians, for that matter, were the big winners. Because we don't see the God of Israel anymore because the only way you see the God of Israel is in the people. 
And so if the temple, if God's house is destroyed and the people uh, have lost, then uh, this is, uh, you, you know, who is this God of Israel? And so Daniel, when he prays and he says, turn away your anger from your city and your holy mountain so that your name can be restored, so that the world can see that you are actually that all-powerful God. You are the one who saves, that the, the God of Israel is indeed uh, the all-powerful God. And so he's concerned about the reputation of Jerusalem and the reputation of the mountain as a result of the sin of the people. Notice he says, For because of our sins... And the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people, have become a reproach to all those around us. Because of our sin, we no longer uh, are magnifying your name. We no longer demonstrate who the God of Israel is. Sure, we bear your name, but we've profaned your name. We've profaned who you are in the midst, in the eyes of the people. We've become a reproach. It's a very strong word. You know, uh, in, in, in Hebrew, a disgrace, contempt, uh, in a state of dishonor and low status, scorned, that's who we've become. And this is what Daniel, this is what has broken, evidently has broken Daniel's heart. That in our covenant relationship, look how we have failed. Look how we have failed to represent you in this world. Look what we've done. He's not concerned about, Lord, I just want to go to heaven when I die. I just want to go to heaven. No. He's concerned with the name of God, with the reputation of, of a God. Okay? So, that's the state. Now he says, So now, our God, listen to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications, begging for mercy. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary, for your sake. Okay? I, uh, you know, it's interesting. That is the word ma'an in, in Hebrew. And, uh, you know, it means, um, it's, uh, it's a preposition, actually. It just means, uh, in some ways, because, it could mean that, but it's usually used uh, uh, on account of. Because of, but meaning on account of, or a reason for an event. Okay? And so for your sake, Lord, let your, on account of you, on account of you, Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, we could just go to town and let your face shine, right? So Daniel was evidently also familiar uh, with uh, the book of Numbers, right? With Bamidbar in the sixth chapter, right? With the Aaronic benediction. That's where it comes from, right? Although I will say he could have also been familiar with about 25 psalms. And a number of other passages where that phrase is used. But the point is, he's familiar with all of it. Now, sometimes I'll say to the kids, you know, uh, when, we're, when we're doing the ironic benediction, let your face shine. Well, I say, what does that mean? Let your face shine. And I just make a little gesture. You know, you know what that is? Anybody know what that is? All right. That's kind of like what it means. You know that, all right. Let your face shine on us, Lord. You could, you, you know, there's a million different words you could use, I suppose. You know, uh, show us mercy, show us grace, be kind to us, love us, look well upon us, probably is a little closer, uh, uh, you know, maybe. 
So let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Look well on your desolate sanctuary. On your desolate sanctuary. That is what he's concerned about. For your sake, Lord. He is, I, he is uh, equating redeeming the people out of Babylon with the redeeming of Jerusalem in the sanctuary. And that's the most important thing. The great thing is, is that when you're in covenant relationship with God, you get the residual blessings. Let's call it the collateral blessings. Okay? Because when you're in it, and God is at work for his namesake, it, that's all good for us. See? Except when we continue to sin and for his namesake, for his reputation, for the way that he's understood in this world, he must judge. But then he, the, the, he's so wonderful that he doesn't leave us in judgment, but redeems us because he wants the world to know who he is, that he is indeed the redeemer. See? All right. So we see, okay, let thy face shine uh, on thy desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, you'll notice as you read this, it's like getting more and more intense. Like you notice at the beginning of verse uh, 15, and now, O Lord, our God, and then in verse 16, O Lord, verse 70, so now, our God, listen to the prayer. And in verse 18, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. You know, it's getting more and more intense. Open your eyes. Now, there is a Yiddish word here that comes to mind. That is the word chutzpah. Uh, you know, when was the last time that you prayed that way? Hmm? Okay. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. Interesting. They're not at the city called by his name. But he says, open your eyes, see our desolations and the city called by your name. So when he sees them, yes, he is, again, he is equating their problems, their desolation with how his name has been besmirched. His reputation has been besmirched as it represents Jerusalem. You know, the reality is, remember what Jeremiah uh, exhorted the people to do when they went to Babylon? Go make a life for yourself. Live there, you know? And the fact of the matter is, is that as time went on, life was not so bad in Babylon. That's why only a small remnant, by the way, actually went back and millions of people stayed in Babylon for hundreds of years. There were more Jews in Babylon in the days of Yeshua than in Israel. That'll raise a thousand questions. But anyway, that, that, that is very true. And so when he says, you're desolate people, it's not that just, oh, we're being killed and whipped and hated. No, we are not walking in your will. We're supposed to be in Jerusalem. We're supposed to be in Jerusalem. Uh, we're supposed to be glorifying and magnifying your name, who you are. So the nations will know who you are. Not just your physical name, but who you are and embrace you. See? He was exceedingly concerned about the reputation of God and their calling to magnify God's name. Now, in verse 18, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see the desolations and the city which is called by your name. He repeats it, right? For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merit of our own, but, account, but on account of your great uh, compassion. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, listen, and take action. 
for your own sake, oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. I mean, it's pretty, uh, pretty clear what uh, Daniel is uh, concerned, uh, concerned about here. That it is not uh, about them feeling good. Uh, it is about God's name. It's about covenant relationship. That they are in this covenant uh, relationship. And in that covenant relationship, they have no merit of their own. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that they are even in a relationship with, with God. And so he's begging God to redeem them out of Babylon so that just like when they were redeemed out of Egypt, a name could be made for God and they would fulfill who they're called to be. Be my witnesses, as it says in Isaiah 43. That's what it means to be the chosen people, to reflect the nature uh, and the character of God. Now, there are a number of places in the Bible that uh, reflect this, this truth, okay? You know, in, uh, for example, you read in Psalm 25, in verse 11, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Okay? Uh, in uh, Psalm 31, in verse 3, you are my rock and my fortress. For your namesake, you will lead me and guide me. Okay. Uh, in, uh, in Psalm 143, uh, in uh, verse uh, 11 there, For the sake of your name, revive me. In thy righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. For your sake, for the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. And so... From the point of view of the scriptures, the cry of, of people who know the Lord is, Lord, you know, for your sake, God, bring me back into covenant relationship. For your sake, for your will, for your purpose, for your meaning, Lord, bring me back to you. Now, there's something very profound in this, okay? And that is, it is ingrained in us. Almost to the point of no return. I, that's too negative. It's ingrained on us, but not to the point of no return. Okay? I, I, that in our relationship with God, is, it is about God coming down to us. And of course, in Yeshua, we, there's all kinds of nice uh, devotionals about that. About that we could not know God. Uh, we're like chicken in the hen house. And the hen house catches fire, and nobody listens to the farmer, but God sends in another chicken to lead him out, right? You know that kind of thing? You ever hear you know, that kind of thing? It's not bad. I appreciate where it's coming from. I understand it, okay? I get it, you know? Um, but really, the reason for the incarnation was because of the glory of God, uh, and, and, and uh, that Yeshua would be the first of glorified mankind, you know? Uh, and that's really, uh, you know, it's, it's a very important thing to get. And so as the, the point is, is that the whole point of God entering in a covenant relationship with us, the whole point of the coming of Messiah was not so much him coming down to us. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. Like, you know, you think of several different verses in the book of Hebrews, you know, about, about Yeshua experiencing temptation. And experiencing all this, so that, so that, you know, he, 
and, and all that, so that he's like one of us. Not sinning, but like one of us, okay? Yes, that's a part of it. But it's not the main part of it, okay? That's the thing. Uh, it's not the main part of it. The main part of Yeshua coming into this world and dying and being raised from the dead is so that we could be raised. Not that God could be lowered, but that we could be raised. That's why it says in Colossians, in the Brit Hadashah, in chapter 3 and verse 1, you have been raised with him. It's not about him being lowered. It's about us being raised. And so when we come to know the Lord, it's not so much, it is, but it's not the main thing, that God has come to me. It is that I have come to him. And, it, and part of it is that he works in my life and, 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 you know, and redeems me and helps me to feel, feel better about things. And, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not so angry all the time and I'm, and, uh, I'm living a better life. Yes. But the main thing is, is the reason for that is because I'm being drawn closer to him. I'm being brought up. I'm a better version of myself because I'm in him. Because I'm called to reflect his glory. I'm called to reflect his image and his likeness. What we're called to be. Better than what we are down here. See? And so that's why. Do you ever notice in the Bible, uh, when, whenever anybody would go to Jerusalem, regardless of the altitude, they're going up. Always going up to Jerusalem. Okay? Even if they start up on the top of a mountain. You know? They're going up to Jerusalem. All right? You know, uh, Aliyah, the word Aliyah, that's what it means, to go up. That's what it means. So we can say we make Aliyah to Israel, move to Israel, going up. And in a way, when, that's why the person who comes and says the, the blessing over the Torah, it's called, we use, uh, we use, of course, our Ashkenazi, North American, everything else, European uh, dialect, Aliyah, Aliyah, that's what it is, going up. And may I suggest that in our worship, in our walk with God, in, in our entire life, it's all about going up. That's why, I, uh, if you see, I wrote a, uh, a little brief uh, uh, post on our blog, and you can access that through our website, Facebook, so on and so forth, about the, one of the great things about services that we have, our worship services, is the liturgy, and the liturgy is there to move beyond our own thoughts, you know, and, and, and just our own feelings and, and move up. And that the goal is, as Heschel said, from mountaintop to the unfathomable, you know, that coming to worship, it's like a microcosm of our lives, you know. When we come together for a few hours on Shabbat morning and for the holidays, it's like a microcosm of, of our life. And so if we come thinking, oh, well, I wonder what, the, what he's going to have for me today or or I wonder uh, what I'm going to get at. What I'm, oh, yes. What am I going to get out of this? You know, I really didn't like the service. I really didn't get a lot out of it. May I suggest you're, the river's flowing the wrong direction. I, as they say, guarantee that if you come with the attitude of, I'm going to draw closer to God today, I'm going to read slowly and carefully that, the words that we say, you know, I'm going to move closer to God. You will walk away saying, I got a lot out of that today. Because that's how it works. 
That's why the more joy and satisfaction you have in your life in the Lord is when you have the attitude that it's not just about what he's going to do for me, but how do I serve him better? How do I do what he's called us? How do I draw closer to him? How do I move up? How do I keep moving up? That's what we want to do, see? And that is what Daniel, basically, is praying about here. Moving back up so that we can, we can be the men and women that you've called us to be. And then we can really be free indeed, right? Because you see, when we talk about being free, free, it wasn't location-oriented as much as it was where they were at with the Lord. That's why he doesn't even mention Babylon. It wasn't about that. It was about they were not right with God. And so, therefore, when we confess our sins... We need to ask ourselves, especially as we begin to uh, approach, uh, you know, these um, these days. Uh, what is our motivation? What is it that um, uh, we desire to um, to get out of uh, these uh, uh, holidays? We need to be thinking in terms of covenant relationship with God. You know that He is our King. We are, his, we are his people, right? Uh, when we pray, when we confess our sins, we need to be thinking in terms of God's reputation for the sake of his name. That as we come and as we uh, forgive one another, as we're called to do during this season, uh, as we hear the sound of the shofar, may we indeed take stock of where we are and confess our sins of profaning his name. What a sad state we are in uh, today. Uh, when you think about uh, the reputation of God in this world, God's reputation, the name of the Lord, whether we're simply talking about Hashem, you know, uh, or Yeshua, okay? It's kind of a sad state of affairs. And what we like to do is we like to blame everybody else. Oh, you know, the world is a sinful place, and so nobody wants to know about the God of Israel. You know, sometimes here, when people come and give some constructive criticism, like, uh, uh, like in a leadership meeting, for example, someone might say or might come to me and say, you know, I sense this kind of an apathy, you know, in our congregation, you know, or something like that. It's easy to say, yeah, I know you know, I know our people, uh, I wish it was better, you know. But, you know, the, re the right reaction, which thankfully we do, hopefully more times than not, is to think, okay, why are we not motivating people well? What, what is it that um, we are doing or not doing that communicates uh, that? How do we light a fire under people? That's just one illustration. Think of a, of a lot of different things, but that's just one, you know, something like that. Uh, so the point is, is that when we say, boy, the reputation of Yeshua is horrible in this world, perhaps what we need to ask is, what have we done? What have we done to make it this way? And what, may I say that, yes, the world is full of sin, but what have we done? What have we abdicated from? What have we acquiesced to? What have we done in the name of Yeshua that has... Uh, uh, cause his reputation to be besmirched in such a way. You know, we could name lots of public figures who uh, make a living on the gospel, 
that have done great damage to the name of God. But it's so easy to do that. What about me? What about us? We are called to magnify his name. That is what it means to be a witness of God. That's what Yeshua meant when he said, Be my witnesses. We represent his name. His name is on us. Right? In one sense, the name means authority. You know? It means that he is in us, and his name is in us, and there's a particular authority. We can enter into the throne room of grace and pray because his name is upon us. Right? Amen. And, and, you know, and there's a, a real spiritual confidence that we should have. But on the other hand, what goes with that is there's a reputation. Think about this. God is invisible. And 99 and 99% of the time, he, he makes himself known through people. Almost always. Not always, but almost always. He makes himself known through people. So what do people know? For example, sadly, let's talk about being a Messiah follower, the, the, the church. Okay, the testimony of who the reality of Yeshua is to the Jewish community. Need I say more? The Jewish people basically don't know who Yeshua is. They know, who he, they know his name. They know who Jesus is. Okay? You know, it's not like they never heard, like, what does that mean? You know what I mean? No. And even some people may maybe have studied the New Testament, and you have Jewish New Testament scholars and, and all that kind of thing. But what do they know? They know, oh, it's not for us. Oh, mission accomplished there. That is a tremendous sin. That, that all of us, Jew and Gentile, because of our identity in Messiah and in the body of Messiah, need to uh, uh, confess. But in the world in general, you know, I wonder... The name uh, of the Lord in this world, in 2015, when people think about those who proclaim uh, the name of the Lord, I think people think, I think he's either a Republican or a Democrat, okay? We've, been, we've done a pretty good job of identifying the name of the Lord with a political stance, moral or, moral or whatever. Okay, we've done a pretty good job of that. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, certainly, we have made his name known uh, to almost be equated with hypocrisy on, on every level. We need to recognize that just like Daniel understood, and he prayed so fervently, so do we need to confess our sins with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes because of what we have done to the name of God in this world. We need to ask ourselves, how can we repent and turn in such a way to magnify his name? Not just give people a, a, a gospel tract, but to demonstrate his name, to demonstrate his essence, to demonstrate the love of God in this world. You know, Yeshua was very interesting in this, in that in the gospels, and I've said this, you know, before, uh, he demonstrated the reality of God by eating with sinners and by banging the religious people over the head, not the other way around. Not eating with the religious people and banging the sinners over the head. See, I think we got that a little opposite day too. You know what I mean? And so how do we demonstrate in word and deed the love of God, the reality of the God of Israel? How can we demonstrate who God is? Yes, his holiness his holiness, uh, his sinlessness, you know, in the way we live, uh, and, but, but that it 
has a positive effect on our lives and on the people around us. See, choose life, as we see in the uh, in the uh, the Torah portion. We need to remember uh, passages uh, like in uh, Colossians. I'm just going to read this because we're just about out of time. In Colossians chapter three, in verse I mentioned verse one, but just verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. Okay? So what does that mean very quickly? That means that in every aspect of our lives, not just in a worship service, not just when we're doing religious activities or exercises, but in every moment of our lives, we are representing who God is. And in every moment of our lives, whether it's at the supermarket, whether it's on the golf course, whether it's in the car, no matter where and when it is, our whole, there's no like nine to five when it comes to being in covenant relationship with God. It's all the time. How are we representing him? Because his name is on us. Who he is, is on us. When, when anybody knows that you are a Messiah follower, you're on the clock for the rest of your life. But the wonderful thing is that he empowers us via the Ruach HaKodesh so that our identity really is in Messiah uh, and that there is an organic reality that we do indeed represent him because it's who we are. And may God be a, may people be able indeed to see that. And you know, just in closing, in the la- at very end of Matthew, which was the Haftorah portion, uh, the New Covenant portion for today, when you read and you sh- in verses eighteen and nine, the last two verses, and Yeshua came up and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth." As a result of all that authority being given to me, okay, go therefore, that's why therefore is there, okay, and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When it says in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, meaning immerse them into identity publicly, into identity with me, that when we're immersed, we're identified with Yeshua. This is, sometimes this is referred to as an identity truth. And something that we don't always get. That we are identified in Messiah when we receive him into our lives. Immersion, physical immersion, is a public demonstration of that I belong to him. And I belong to this company of people, the body of Messiah. Not in the name of John, which would have been the context of the day. Not in the name of uh, you know, the, the Pharisees. Not in the name of Rabbi Hillel, not in the name of Shammai, not in the name of this uh, teacher, that rabbi, in the name of Yeshua, in the name of the God of Israel. And so what Yeshua does by saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is this full-orbed, magnanimous representation of who God is. And so we are identified uh, in him. So he says, go and make disciples and immerse them in the name of the God of Israel, and that there therefore now is this identification. And if we were talking about spiritual authority, we would say that's why he says it, because all authority has been given to him, and so we're immersed in his name, in his, in his authority. But for, for us here today, we're talking more about reputation. And, and so uh, may we always be moving up. May we always be moving up, 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 closer to the pinnacle. May that affect the holiness, the way we live our lives as we magnify 
his name in that way. May we repent and be thinking in terms of what have we done to besmirch his name and how can we restore his name in this world to a place of great loving power and holiness where holiness means wonderful things. How can we do that? By confessing our sins, by being forgiven, by being cleansed. And may God bless us as we keep moving up. May he bless us so that his name is magnified. That's what we want to do here at Beth Messiah. That's what we want to do when we talk about anything having to do with our property and a building or different ministries and, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, anything, whatever, children, uh, every, every group within and without. It's all about magnifying his name. The result is great satisfaction, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, and things like that. May this be a high holy day season to remember. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you, Lord, that you have called us from where we are, from so low, and you have raised us up. Lord, thank you, God, that yes, we are raised with Yeshua. And so in, in that sense, we are like Yeshua, glorified humanity. But Lord, we know that we're still on the way. And so God, may we continue to focus on you and keep moving up. Lord, as we do so, may we see those uh, you know, victories over temptations and healings and, you know, and uh, loosening the, the bonds of addiction and, you know, and chains of torment in our lives as we come closer and closer up, up, up the mountain. Lord, I think about all the way back at Sinai when your desire was for the people to go up the mountain. Lord, I think about Abraham bringing Isaac up the mountain. Lord, I think about the placement of the temple. On the mount, Lord, Lord, may we constantly be making aliyah to you, Lord. And may it truly be uh, a metaphor for a land of milk and honey being in, in this relationship with you. And Lord, may people see the way we conduct our lives and say, wow, that's like a great life. Not of money and of the, uh, of, uh, the accumulation of things, but the quality of life. Lord, may people see that. And so, God, we repent. We confess our sins of, uh, of perhaps just being so greedy for your blessings without recognizing our call of participation, this great call and privilege to turn this world upside down, Lord, to really bring redemption to this world. Uh, God, yes, Lord, we are a reproach. Lord, we pray, God, because of your compassion, not with anything we bring to the table, but because of your compassion, Lord. May you turn us around. May you redeem us. May you deliver us for the sake of your holy city, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Yeshua's name.